Our scripture reading tonight will come from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. As you turn there, I haven't taken a survey on this, but I imagine among ministers, this is probably one of their favorite Lord's Days of the year, since they have an extra hour to preach. But as we are turning to uh, Hebrews chapter 2, if you haven't been with us, you um, wouldn't know that we've been considering a chapter that has much to say about the cross of Christ. We've considered that Jesus Christ, whom we see reigning and ruling over all things, he's the taster of death, captain of salvation, and he calls us brethren. And we're called tonight, as we consider the 14th verse of Hebrews chapter 2, to consider yet another aspect of the work of Christ on the cross, and that is the destruction of the devil himself. So the 14th verse is our text. For context, we're going to have, we'll read from Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 15. Give your attention now to the reading and the hearing of the infallible and inerrant Word of God. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels." But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Here am I in the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, our Father, we thank you so much for this, your word. As we have sung, so now we request in our prayer that you would draw us very near to the cross of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, tonight. Cause our minds to be fixed on nothing else but you and your word. Cause the words that are spoken from this pulpit to be all together in accordance with your word and to the glory of God Almighty and to Jesus Christ the Son and to God the Holy Spirit, the blessed, blessed triune God, now and forevermore. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this once again, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. It seems today that crosses are on display everywhere. You see people wearing crosses around their necks. You see people with crosses hanging from the mirrors of their cars. You see people with crosses tattooed even on their bodies. Crosses are just about everywhere. But how many who may have a cross or look at a cross on a daily basis, how many of them know what it is that that cross represents? Why do they have it? Is the cross known as the place where the sin of many was paid by the Savior, Jesus Christ? Is the cross known as the place where Jesus made not partial payment, but full payment for the sins of those many sons that he is bringing to glory? Is the cross known as the place where God the Son poured out his blood as an offering and a sacrifice to reconcile God and man together so that they're no longer at war, but they are united in peace through the Prince of Peace, who is not ashamed then to call his children brethren. John Owen spoke of the cross and the glory of the atonement in one of his most famous books, and in a way, I don't know if any other book that has summarized its content so well in its title, then John Owen, that Puritan writer's book, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. All the glories of the cross were brought together in that book, one lengthy sermon on the atonement. But there is an aspect, and there is a work on the cross, that I wonder if it comes into your mind as infrequently as it comes into my own mind. And that is the work on the cross that is brought to us in this 14th verse concerning not our sins, not concerning salvation so much, but concerning our great enemy, the devil. For here the Lord brings us face to face with that old serpent, that one who is the deceiver and has deceived from the beginning. And he tells us that on the cross, Jesus Christ destroyed the devil. He put that devil to death. And we are going to consider this verse tonight in three main headings, the first being the devil's domain, the second being the devil's destruction, and then the third being the son's dominion. The devil's domain. This is not a doctrine that I am particularly excited about bringing tonight. The doctrine of the devil. 
our great adversary. But it is a matter that comes up in the Scripture quite frequently. The devil and Satan, he's named in the Scripture about a hundred times. There's something God wants us to know about the devil. And yes, he is absolutely our enemy. I wonder if it's something like what that ancient Chinese general some 700 years before Christ famously wrote in his book, The Art of War, when he said, you must know your enemy. If you're going to defeat your enemy, you must know your enemy. And so God reveals to us in his Holy Scripture much about that enemy, the devil. And he tells us that on the cross, that enemy, the devil, was destroyed. What is the domain or the activity of the devil? I want us to think about that first. In John chapter 10, that chapter that speaks of our great shepherd, our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows his sheep and calls them by name. It's a marvelous chapter because Jesus constantly uh, puts the good shepherd against the thief, against the hireling. And while he doesn't name in that chapter the thief as the devil, certainly if the thief is not to picture the devil, it's the devil's followers. And what does that thief go about to do in John chapter 10? But three things. He does this. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. Satan, who is the father of lies, goes about to steal and to kill and destroy the souls of men and women, boys and girls. And his primary way of doing all these things is through those things that he's most famous for, deceit and lies. How does the devil steal? Well, the devil steals, certainly, in promising many things in exchange for what? Just your soul. He promised there in the garden that if Adam and Eve ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, that they would have knowledge and eternal life. If they would just follow the temptations of the devil, they would experience life. And there that liar deceived our first parents. And Eve sinned against God and took that fruit, and she gave that fruit to Adam, and he sinned against God, and he ate that forbidden fruit. And in the day that he ate it, not only did he die, but all mankind died in his first transgression. That's what the devil goes about to do, to steal with his deceit. He steals the souls of men. He plucks them away, even from the garden. That's what he was about. He sends out false preachers to preach that famous false message that Jeremiah brings out so many times. What do they cry? Peace, peace, when there is no peace. When even in the days of Jeremiah and those false preachers were soothing the ears with those words, the very armies of Babylon were at the gates of Jerusalem. All the while they cried, peace, peace. But there was no peace. In exchange for that false message of hope, in exchange for the destruction that was soon to come, the devil stole from these people even their souls. The devil steals but the devil does more than that. The devil kills. Now, we might think that's, that's, a big, that's a big claim for the devil, but what does the Scripture say? In the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus said to the Jews there who were denying that he was the Son of God, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is the meaning of the words here, him who has the power of death. He is a murderer. The devil is a murderer. A murderer of body and soul. That's what he did in the garden. He led mankind to their death. He was the one tempting Cain when Cain was jealous of his brother and Cain went out into the field and he killed his brother. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us of Cain, he was of the wicked one and slew his brother. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. And those that follow the devil are themselves murderers. He was there deceiving the Jews When they cried out just days after saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, following their father, the devil, and seeking to murder the innocent. The devil steals, the devil kills, and the devil destroys. This is his whole purpose, the destruction of souls, and we ought not to have any mistake about it. There is only one thing that the devil desires above all else. It is his chief end. It is his chief goal that as many souls as possible would be brought with him to utter damnation. That is his whole mission. And until the trumpet of the Lord blows and the heavens are open and the Son of Man descends, the devil will go about performing that mission. How does he do it? In time past, he did it in this way. He went about in heaven. It's rather mysterious that the devil is in heaven. Is that the heaven of heavens where saints go and they die and are with Christ? The world of spirits. But we're told in Job and other places that the devil stood before the throne of God. And what did he do there? He accused. Always accusing. Accusing who? The children of God. To whom? To God himself. The devil, our adversary, is the accuser. Do you know that's what Satan means? Satan means the accuser. Satan means the adversary. In Zechariah chapter 3, those opening three verses, there was the high priest Joshua standing before the throne of God. And who was standing there? The devil. Doing what? Accusing him before the Lord of Lords. This is what is meant by him who had the power of death. He is the accuser. He goes about accusing. He goes about crying out guilty, damned, cursed because of sin. That's what he does. Always accusing the people of God. Now, we do not want to be confused by this when the Scripture tells us that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. The Scripture is not saying that Satan has authority over death and life. That is the authority in the realm of God alone. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 6 says, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. But what he is saying is that through the deceitfulness of the devil who steals, kills, and destroys, he leads people and brings people and urges people on to death. He tempts the world and seeks to destroy it, doesn't he? 
Oh, look at the great sins that are taking place in our world today. We could spend much time talking about how the devil goes about in the sins of abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, drug use, adultery, all manner of sins that we see about us and in our neighbors, how the devil in each aspect of that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. None of those things that I've just mentioned give life, do they? They lead only and always to one place. It's always to death and destruction. Following the liar of this world will only lead to death. It's never led anywhere else. It can't lead anywhere else, for the devil is a murderer from the beginning. But what about the church? He also seeks to tempt the elect, doesn't he? Satan stood up against Israel and against David, we are told, to tempt David in 1 Chronicles 22 to do what God forbade the number of the people. But he filled David's heart with pride. And David in his pride wanted to know about his own kingdom's glory and he disobeyed God who gave him that kingdom and fell for the temptation of Satan. He tempted Peter to challenge the need for Christ to die. In Matthew chapter 16, a passage that's remembered for the great statement of of Peter, when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Just a few verses later, Peter, who made that great confession, he said, God forbid, Jesus, that you should go to the cross and die. And Jesus said, you know not what you are speaking of. For this reason, I came that I might die for my children. And he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was not following the Lord there, but had fallen into the temptation of Satan. Jesus acknowledged the request of Satan to take Peter and to sift him, the scripture says in Luke 22. But Jesus said, I will pray for you and you will be delivered. Satan is going about trying to deceive even the elect. What are some of his tactics today? Think about some of the thoughts that come into the mind and bear upon the souls of Christians. How many of you, maybe tonight, I don't know your heart, but maybe some of you tonight were tempted to not come to church this evening, to think little of the Lord's day. Is not that the temptation of the evil one? Where will God's people be fed but under the means of grace in his house throughout the Lord's day? And what does the devil do? He comes in and says, Has God really ordained those Ten Commandments to continue all of them to the present day? The tempter comes in. What about that sin that has so consumed so many of pornography? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Doesn't the tempter come in and say, don't worry about the scripture. God is merciful. You can do it again tomorrow. He doesn't care. Don't read the scripture. Don't try to put it to death. Don't worry about your marriage. The devil comes in subtly trying to deceive and twist the truth. How many have thought that it's okay to be anxious in this present life. It's okay to despair. It's okay to fret. Doesn't the devil want people to fret and doubt 
the Lord of glory, that he's able to deliver us and lead us day by day in his presence, that we need not be anxious for what we'll wear or eat or put on. What about the church of God? Doesn't the devil seek to cause the church to forget his word, to not read his word, to lift high the cross perhaps, but not know anything about what happened at that cross and what it means? Doesn't the tempter tempt us to forget of sin and righteousness and judgment? To forget about the fires of hell that God has so spoken of and warned in his word out of mercy and love for his people that they flee from it to him? And the devil says, forget about it. Don't worry about sin. Think lightly of sin. It will be all right. Fathers and mothers, how often has this temptation come in, especially when you're tired? Oh, you have lots of time to train up your children in the way of the Lord. Don't worry about reading the scripture with them tonight. There will be time later to do it. Don't worry about your personal devotion. Don't worry about praying to God. Don't worry about being in his kingdom and active among his people. There will be time later. Have you fallen under the sway of your adversary, the devil? That hater of God hates all God's image bearers. But if you can put it this way, he has a special hatred for those whom the Son laid down his life. And he seeks above all else to cause those who have made the good profession to fall into sin in the snare of the devil. And if he could, he would take even the elect with him to hell. But he can't. Because our God is much more powerful than Satan, the ruler of the darkness of this age. I don't want to stay much more on this topic of the devil. It's a very dark topic, but it's true. According to Scripture, and we must be warned of him, for he does go about as that roaring lion, disguising himself as an angel of light, bringing many to follow in his path of destruction. But brothers and sisters, the message of this text and this verse is that this Satan this serpent, he has been destroyed. And that brings us to the second heading, the devil's destruction. Now, because of all the things that we see the devil seemingly having success in in our present age, some might scoff at this text and say, what are you talking about? The death of the devil? The destruction of the devil? You were just speaking about all those things that the devil is doing or has done. How can you say that the devil has died? Well, there's two ways, but I want to address a, uh, what this text is not saying first. What this text is not saying about the cross is that Jesus, in any way, shape, or form, went to the cross and made a ransom payment to the devil. Some of you may have heard of that before as a ransom theory of the atonement, a most ungodly and wicked theory that Jesus Christ owed money or owed his blood to the devil, and that the devil was destroyed at the cross because Jesus paid him off so that he could have a children for himself. That is not what happened at the cross. Jesus did not pay a ransom. The text tells us Jesus destroyed the devil. Nobody pays a ransom and think they just destroyed the one that they gave a ransom to. That is not what happened at the cross. Here's what's happened at the cross. 
Christ destroyed the devil's claim. And Christ destroyed the devil's reign. Think about that first. Christ destroyed his claim. Satan had this grip over souls. It's the grip of fear and of torment. We'll talk more about that next time in verse 15, God willing. Satan was always and, and is always now in putting in front of us our sins and the penalty of sin and the wages of sin, which is death, and that's, and that's accurate. That is, that is the wages and payment of sin. But as he accuses, he always, in his hypocritical, deceitful way, he always is leaving out the promise, the promise that there is one way of escape from the fires of hell, one way of escape from that adversary, the devil. He always, always, always leaves it out. Never read the scripture concerning the devil and say, oh, the devil's telling the truth there. He's never telling the truth. There's always an aspect of truth. But in it, he's always bringing in deceit because he's the father of lies. That's what he does. Don't forget that in the wilderness, what was it that the devil used as he spoke to Jesus? He used scripture itself. But he was twisting the scripture and he turned the truth of God's word into a lie because he is a liar. So the devil makes his claims against you. If you're a follower of Christ, he makes his claim of cursing and damnation. But against that noise and that curse-filled screaming of the devil, against all of those things that that archdemon would say, Christ was incarnate. In all of that, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh, and he came into this world of sin and darkness that was under the power and under the realm and under the claim of Satan, and he burst forth into that darkness with the glorious light of himself that he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil. Satan left out the promise. Jesus never forgot the promise. That there was indeed to be a mediator between God and man who would take the curse of man's sin upon himself and bear it on that cursed cross. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And there he would pay for that curse. He would pay for that debt once and for all, all of it, so that everyone that looks to him by faith might not perish but have everlasting life. What a glorious promise. What's, what's the basis? Where, why would he do that? Was that just something that happened 2,000 years ago on a whim by God? Of course not. Do you remember the promise that God made long ago in the garden after Satan tempted Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God and God came to them in the garden and spoke to them and they all did their blame shifting. And then God said that the seed of the woman would come and what would the seed of the woman do to the serpent? He would bruise his head. That's a nice way of saying he would crush his head. He would stomp in and destroy the head of the serpent. That's what he did on the cross. He crushed the head of Satan. Cursed I was, but Christ Jesus became a curse for me. 
Oh, the devil hangs that over us. You're cursed. You're damned for your sin. Oh, but that curse and damnation was put on another, a substitute who took away the sins of his children. And because he lives, I will live. Because he paid, I'm free of my debt. Because he bore the weight of my sin, I am made free in Christ Jesus. You see, I hope that the victory and the power of Satan over death was put to death on the cross. Because Jesus shed his blood, and that claim of Satan is no more. I would ask you once again, does Satan have any type of grip on you tonight? Are you following the devil in any way tonight? He who sins, as 1 John 1 tells us, is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set the sinner free. Let it be known to you, if you are under any sway of the wicked one tonight, that Christ has destroyed his claim and his power, and that there is salvation in his name and no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who repents of their sins and repents of falling into the sin that maybe the devil tempted them to, maybe they did all on their own, whoever repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be born again, as you heard this morning, and will have everlasting life with the Savior because on the cross, Jesus Christ crushed the head of the serpent and destroyed his claim over the souls of men. But I also want you to think about something else. That as we sit here tonight, many millions of souls are in hell, burning with that rich man that we read of in Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Why are they there? Not one of them is there because of the devil. Every single one is there because of his or her own sins. The devil is not an excuse for sin. It will not work to stand before Almighty God and say, the devil made me do it. No, God has told us, O man, what he requires of us. And we are to do that. Nobody's in, in hell because of Satan. Satan is not an excuse. Don't let that be an excuse for you. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins might be blotted out. Jesus Christ destroyed the devil's claim on the cross, but he did more than that. He destroyed his reign. He destroyed his reign or his realm or his kingdom. I think it's easy for us to, to sit here in 2023 and, and look out and see the darkness. It's very dark right now. We can look out and, and see the, the sin and think that the whole world is, is falling away. Look at the murder and the violence of, of the young just in this country without even going out of our, of our borders. Tomorrow, tomorrow, 3,000 babies will be murdered in this country tomorrow alone, and every single day afterwards. What about in Canada, where they are euthanizing old and young and whoever is depressed and wants and signs the euthanasia paperwork? 20,000 this year will be euthanized in Canada. What about the 100,000 who will die from drug overdoses? How many hundreds of thousands more would it be if it weren't for things like Narcan that helps people that have overdosed to 
be able to live. It looks bleak, perhaps, in the world. We might say and be tempted to think, surely the devil is reigning. How can you say that the devil's reign has been broken on the cross? But I ask you not to think about 2023, but go back about 2,000 years to around 33 AD. Where was the light of Jesus Christ? Was it not in this small little area on the eastern side of the Mediterranean that didn't even have its own kingdom? It was under the rule of the Roman Empire. There in what had been great kingdoms of the kings and children of David and the King David himself, they were under the power and the rule of the Roman Empire. How many lights, how many Christians were there shining their lights in and around Jerusalem on that night that Jesus died on the cross? Very few. Very, very few. You can go out throughout the land of Judea and there would be very few that would be shining for Jesus Christ. But something, something tremendous that I confess I have not wrapped my mind entirely around, something tremendous happened on that cross that Jesus told us would happen and did happen. And it was this, that Satan was cast out of heaven at the cross. He was cast out of heaven Listen first to Luke chapter 10. It's that account when Jesus had sent out the 70, and then they come back. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. How excited they were. How joyful a thing it is to see God's power at work in the world through the preaching. Even the demons are subject to us. But the Lord quickly reminds them what they should be thinking about. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He saw something greater. Satan cast out of heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Pastor Zeki read it a few moments ago. I'm going to draw your attention just to a few verses of John chapter 12, because I think this is, this is the big thing that is being, is being uh, pursued in Hebrews 2 verse 14, this casting out of the wicked one from heaven. John 12 verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Some people, they take these things, they say, oh, that's when Satan fell before Adam and Eve fell. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Present tense, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, will be cast out of heaven. We'll read it at the end from Revelation chapter 12 where the Lord summarizes all this with Satan, that old serpent, being cast out. But here's what the Lord did on the cross. The reign of Satan that had some ability to be in heaven before the throne of God, accusing God's people. He is cast out of heaven and thrown down to the earth. His realm is put in ruins. It's destroyed by Christ on the cross. That accuser, He's out of heaven, and he's going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What proof do we have of that? 33 AD, 
Where is the light of Christ? One little country. Where are we? The opposite side of the world tonight. 40, 45 gathered in a place outside Atlanta, a city where there are many righteous, and a world that is constantly growing with the knowledge of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Is Satan's realm not destroyed? Has not the gospel of Jesus Christ been spreading and advancing for 2,000 years? Oh, yes, some places were bright, now they're dim, others are almost off. But new places are receiving the word of God and are rejoicing in the God of the word. Christ has destroyed that realm by dying on the cross for his children. Therefore, several things we must receive from this. We must humble ourselves before Almighty God. Cry out to him who is merciful for mercy. Too often we have followed that wicked one in his lies. Let us never do it again. You and I ought then, knowing that the claim and the reign of Satan has been destroyed, we ought to go with confidence into the world that was once just overrun with the deceitfulness of the serpent, but now he's chained even to the pit of hell. And we ought to proclaim Christ into that darkness. It is the power of God unto salvation, and he is saving as you are all witnesses who claim the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight. We ought to live with confidence in the King, believing his infallible word, that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And we ought never to fear what's taking place in God's church as if Satan is going to overrun it. Oh yes, he presses in, but the church presses back. And the church is victorious. The war is, the end of the war is a certainty. Satan has already been cast out. He is now chained to that bottomless pit. He is roaring like a lion seeking to devour. But he has been destroyed. I want to turn then briefly to the son's dominion. Because if we are to understand this text properly, we must understand that which the Son has done in his power and rule and destruction of the wicked one. In the dominion of Christ or the kingdom of Christ, the demons tremble. Do you not know that from your reading of the Gospels? What happens when Jesus comes face to face with a demon-possessed man? They tremble, they quake with fear, they try to get away, they scream out, they make noises, they try to even address Jesus by name. They tremble before him because he has all authority in heaven and in earth. When he died on the cross, he purged our sins to the uttermost and rose the third day as he said he would do. He is clothed with that name that is above every name and before which every knee will bow in heaven and in earth and every tongue will confess and the demons tremble before that. Whose side do you want to be on? On the side of the king that lives now and will live forever and is casting the powers of darkness into the bottomless pit? Or do you want to be on the side of those that are perishing, that are trembling, that are in sin and are being destroyed? In the kingdom of Christ, then, brothers and sisters, you who are in it, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Give no room, no quarter to him and his fiery darts. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to resist him and take that sword of the Spirit, and when those fiery temptations and those darts come, strike at him. Strike at him. 
and keep on striking, strike hard that he would flee, strike true that he would be wounded, strike continually because he's going to come back. And in all that, pray. And pray without ceasing. And behold what wondrous things the Lord will do for you as he makes that wicked one flee from before you. The hymn writer said, At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brethren, lift your voices loud, your anthems raise. In the dominion of Christ, the demons tremble, but in the dominion of Christ, eternal life is given. Satan's kingdom, or what's left of it, what he's trying to control, it's a kingdom of death and darkness. There's no other way. Those that go into it, they follow their way to death. But in the kingdom of Christ, there is life and light forevermore. That's the contrast. In a way, it's very simple. There is the devil. He represents and is death and destruction. There is Christ, the ruler, the one that is reigning over all, conquering and conquered. And he is life and life eternal. As Moses said long ago in Deuteronomy chapter 30, choose you this day who you will follow. Who will you serve? Life or death? Good or evil? Blessing or cursing? Heaven or hell? And lest you choose wrongly, not knowing what you should choose, he leaves, doesn't leave the decision to you. He says, choose life that you and your children may live. And Jesus Christ, who we declare to you, he is our life. Choose Christ Jesus. Don't die, but live. In the dominion of Christ, he holds the keys of death and hell, and they're entirely in his hand. I know the time is late, but I do want to give this illustration and this warning. There is a deadly and terrible fallacy that's believed by many today, especially those that are that are, that are ensnared in the sin of LGBTQIA and all those letters that come with it. And we pray for those people that are ensnared in those chains that they would come to Christ. We don't mock them. We don't hate them. We pray for them that they would repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pity them. If you see many of them and they're wearing short sleeves, there is a large percentage that have scars up and down their arms. Because their God that leads them to death wants their blood and they've given it to them. But there's a fallacy in that group. They believe that Satan is the king of hell. And they don't worry about dying because then they'll be in the realm of Satan. That is a complete lie. Jesus Christ himself holds the keys of heaven and hell. Satan is not ruling hell. He's enchained to hell trying to stay away from it as long as he can. But at that great day, the Lord is going to, as he says in Revelation 20, he's going to take Satan, who's chained to hell nail, and cast him into the bottomless pit. Well, he will burn forevermore. There's no paradise with Satan. There is only burning and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. If you're like me, I, maybe everybody here, I don't know, but I've got family members that are in this sin tonight who don't want to talk about it because they think we're hateful. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to die and fall into deceit. I want them to live. 
And that's why we plead the gospel of Jesus Christ, the conquering king, and that he is able to break the chain to slavery, to sin, and to the evil one, and to the pits of hell, because that's why he came to set the prisoner and the captive free. So we plead, come to Christ, come to him who has victory and who has destroyed Satan, who has destroyed that wicked one. His end is very close. His destruction has happened. Soon he will be cast into outer darkness forever. And this victory is certain because our Savior took on our flesh and came into this world of darkness that he might in our flesh and in our nature die to pay that price on the cross for our sins. Do not follow that defeated Satan. Follow that reigning, ruling, powerful king of kings who saves his children for himself. I'm going to close with these two things tonight. I hope that you've tasted something of the glory of Christ and the power of Christ on the cross. I want you to think about these two things, considering what we've talked about tonight. The first is 1 John 4, verse 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, that we would live with that knowledge and that Bible verse in our minds all day long and all night. What type of Christians would we be? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Look not to yourself this week as you struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look not to your failing strength and decaying body, but look up. Look beyond the creature to the creator. Look beyond the creature to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He never leaves his people. He never leaves his children. He's with them always, even to the end of the age. Another hymn writer puts it like this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But second, secondly, the last thing I'd leave with you. Leave this place, if you are in Christ, glorifying the Lord and boasting in nothing else than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's boast. That needs to be our boast. That's what Hebrews 2 is all about, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. By it, we have died to the world. The world has died to us. Boast in it. Boast in the cross, because on the cross, Jesus crushed Satan's head and destroyed his realm, his reign, and his claim. Boast in him. If you are not in Christ tonight, don't leave here without being in Christ. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and your unbelief and leave here believing in him who rules and reigns over all. Revelation 12, I said I would read this before we closed and this is the end of the second point. Revelation 12 brings this whole message together. In a way, it was an exposition of Hebrews 2, 14. It's also an exposition of Hebrews or Revelation 12. Listen to what the Lord says in verse 7 of that chapter. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. 
he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God night and day has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shares in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil." Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, what can we say to these things? If you be for us, who can be against us? What can we say to the love of God that would send his only begotten Son into the world to die for us who had so much of our lives followed not him, but the adversary, the devil? What can we say of the grace of God that has found worms and wretches like us and taken us from darkness to light. We thank you. We praise you. We boast in the cross. You are our only hope in this life or the life to come. And so we plead with you tonight that as you have promised, so you would do, bring each of us to that everlasting glory where we shall see you face to face in heaven not with an accuser, but with an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, in whose name we pray. Amen.